Hello, and welcome to the Sasha Sessions, a Team USA podcast. I'm your host, Sasha Cohen, Olympic silver medalist in figure skating. Joining me this week is Haley McClenney. Haley is a decorated softball player at both the NCAA and national team level. She will represent Team USA in Tokyo this summer when softball makes its return to the Olympic Games. And just an aside, due to technical difficulties, this audio was recorded on a phone, so quality isn't up to our usual standards. I hope you'll forgive that and stick around because it's a really great conversation. Haley, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to speak with you today. Ah, thanks for having me. I'm super excited. So I want to start big picture. And for people in the audience that might not be familiar, you're preparing to play for Team USA this summer in Tokyo as softball is returning to the Olympics for the first time in 12 years, which is incredibly exciting. Yeah, it's it's awesome. It's a, it's a cool opportunity. And just as a little context, Team USA was just a powerhouse in softball, right? And won three consecutive Olympic golds in 96, 2000, 2004. I would love to know, just it's so fortuitous that in the peak of your career, the sport is coming back to the Olympic Games and giving you this opportunity. Where were you? Can you remember the time that you heard that softball would be making a comeback in Tokyo in 2020? Yeah, we were actually um, coming back from a tournament in Japan in 2016. And we got off of the plane and we, we had been traveling for like what felt like 24 hours um because that flight to japan is not easy we were coming back home we landed in the states and we were all we knew the vote was going to happen that day so we were constantly just like refreshing the website trying to figure out you know if it was in if it wasn't in whatever i had been on the national team for three years um at that point and then spent uh, a year with the junior national team as well so for a lot of us that were on that team that year and there were a good bit of us that ended up making the olympic roster um for us it was just about like continuing the legacy of just wearing USA across your chest and what that meant. Um, we wanted to get it back in the Olympics. We honestly fought like hell to get it back in the Olympics. Um, so when we got that, uh, got that word that it was voted back in, it was like, it was like a dream coming back to life, I think is the best way that I can describe it because, you know, when it got voted out after the 2008 games, I was only, uh, 14 at the time. Um, and I'm, almost 27 now. So you, you get that dream taken away and, you know, a critical part of your life and it comes back in a critical part of your life. So it was just, it was really like a dream being resurrected and then to be able to make the roster was just all the more special. So, um, it was a pretty, pretty, pretty cool opportunity. And what, for sure. what year was that just for context that you heard it would be reintroduced? 2016, I believe. 2016 okay or 17 one of the two so it's been four or five years google i don't know all my years run together i hear you i hear that happens as we age and then the other thing that's really interesting that i was reading is it's not a sure thing that it's going to stay uh back in the olympic games it's it's debuting again as an exhibition sport in tokyo and you might not have an opportunity to compete again until 2028 Can you explain a little bit of the backstory there and why that is? Yeah, that's correct. So we're in as an exhibition only sport in 2020. So um, when it came down to it, uh, choosing the venue uh, for the 2020 Olympic Games, Tokyo got the bid. Um, We knew that we had a shot to get back in just because the Japanese people absolutely 
love baseball and softball. Um, and they already have the facilities, um, state of the art facilities really to be able to host a tournament like the Olympics for both sports. Um, so that's, that's a critical piece of it for us. I mean, I guess our approach right now is, you know, we, a lot of us don't know if we'll ever get this opportunity again. We're not in for the 2024 games. We're still holding out hope for, for 2028 in Los Angeles. Um, but what it comes down to from my understanding is really just making sure that we can grow our game on a global scale. It's obviously a very popular sport in Japan. It's a very popular sport um, in the United States. You see that from both a major league baseball perspective and from, you know, the women's college world series just had the best ratings that they've ever had um, just a couple of weeks ago um, back in early June. So our sport's obviously very popular over here where it needs to get a little bit more popular is going to be in the European countries. And unfortunately, a lot of Europeans hold a lot of international Olympic committee votes. So for us, it's about growing the game in all countries across the world, particularly focusing on Europe. So we can grow the sport there, build facilities there that could host potentially baseball and softball events, grow the game at a grassroots level there, and then potentially get the votes to keep it back in the Olympic program full time. Team USA has done a really good job of, of going um, to Paris. Well, they went to Paris, took a team to Paris a couple of years ago, took a team to Ireland a couple of years ago, just to grow the game in those places. So that's kind of like our main focus right now. Obviously, we want to win a gold medal in 2020. But for us, it's it's so much more than that. It's about growing in the game and showing people why our sport should be in the Olympic program um, full time. And I've really come to appreciate that about you in reading some of your interviews and listening to podcasts that you've been on, that you see the importance of of speaking out not only for your sport, but for women in your sport and trying to give them similar exposure and opportunities that the men have. And, and that can mean to earn a living after college. And when did this become front and center for you? Because I know that you you really use your voice and your social media platforms to try to bring attention to just the, the women's game and just the need for them to have the same kind of opportunities that the men do. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, it really started, you know, kind of right after college, honestly. Um Cause you know, I, I mean, I was a professional athlete almost right away, um, was drafted to a professional softball league right out of college and then, um, was still playing with the national team as well. So, um, it's funny that like, I can put, <laughs> I can put professional athlete in my bio and people think like that auto- automatically means like I'm set, I'm secure, I'm taken care of. Um, and that's just not the case, um, especially for a lot of female athletes. An eye-opening experience for me was um, right before I was named to the Olympic roster. I was playing, um, I was playing professional softball, international softball, um, but I still had a full-time job. I was a, a strength and conditioning coach at Florida A&M University in Tallahassee, and I was working um, as the the director of strength and conditioning for ten to twelve teams at a time. So my typical work day was I'd wake up at four. Um, I would go to the office around five or five 30. My first lift of the day would be a 6 a.m. FAMU softball lift. I'd be at the office all day, mixing in my own training in the weight room and stuff like that. Um, and then my last lift of the day was a baseball lift anywhere between five and 6 p.m. So I'm working a 12 hour, 12 hour a day job 
just to make, you know, make ends meet doing something that I love that still allows me to train and compete and take, you know, three to four months off at a time to, to play in the summers. And that's what kept me going. That's what allowed me to continue to play. It's not just because I kept playing and, and, you know, because I wanted to keep playing, obviously I wanted to keep playing, but I needed another job to support my continued professional career. And you don't hear, you know, you don't hear major league baseball players worrying about that. You don't hear NBA players worrying about that. There's just so many limited opportunities for women compared, compared to men. Um, it's unfortunate that it has to be that way. I think it's getting a lot better. You've seen, um, you know, leagues like athletes unlimited really start to step up and invest in women. Um, and you get a better product when that happens too. Once we, once the Olympic roster was named, um, USA softball and the USOPC really financially supported all of us. So we could focus on training full time. And I know I've seen a tangible difference in our level of play once that investment was made. So if you want us to be really elite at what we do, you have to invest in us and give us the freedom to really devote all of our time to, to training. Um, you know, if, if I'm working at 12 hours, 12 hours a day at a job, that's, that's 12 hours a day. I'm not focusing on my professional game. So it, it goes both ways with that. And like I said, I think things are getting a lot better, but we do still have a lot of work, work left to do. So we're all trying to use our platforms as best we can to shine a light on that. There certainly is a ton of ground left to cover, but I think, again, inch by inch, movements are being made. And I think it's so important to remind the audience to, you know, see Olympic athletes just on this pedestal and imagine that every resource is available and training is paid for, but that's really just not the case for, for many Olympic athletes and especially for many female athletes outside of the Olympic Games. So I think it's really important to touch upon that. And I, I heard you mention Athletes Unlimited. And for, for those of us that aren't as familiar, can you describe a little bit what that is when you got involved and how uh, this platform gave you an opportunity to in earn, earn income? Yeah, Athletes Unlimited um, is really a um, kind of a new look on professional sports and particularly uh, women's professional sports. So um, they oversee um, softball, uh, professional volleyball, and uh, professional lacrosse is, is launching very soon, um, I think this summer, actually. And what Athletes Unlimited does is it takes um, kind of like a new, innovative approach to how women's sports are played. So from the softball sense, um, you are drafted to a new team every single week, and you earn individual points from um, your individual stats, as well as whether or not the teams that you are on are successful. Um, it's typically weighted more towards team wins. So the winning is still important, but teams are moving around, um, every single week. And so the philosophy behind it was, you know, most people nowadays don't root for a specific professional team, especially when you're talking about something that's outside of the major sports, like football, basketball, baseball, um, most people will just say like, I'll use major league baseball players as an example. Like I'm not a Los Angeles angels fan, but I'm a Mike Trout fan. I'm not uh, a Dodgers fan, but I'm a Mookie Betts fan. So fans will follow individual players and athletes unlimited sort of kind of took that approach, um, and made a completely data driven points based system for the individual based on, um, 
based on your individual points as well as team accumulated win points. So basically what happens is you're paid a base salary and then where you rank on the leaderboard at the end of it in points, um, a player bonus is given to you based off of where you finish on that leaderboard. So I have no problem saying it was the most I've ever been paid, you know, playing professional softball, which is really awesome. Um, the fact that it was in Chicago uh, for us was a really big deal to be able to stay at home and play in the States and take, take advantage of our audience here. But I, I feel like it's run so well. Um, and that was the first time at athletes unlimited. That was the first time I felt like a true professional athlete where I didn't have to worry about where my money was coming from. I didn't have to worry about where my training was going to happen. I knew I was in Chicago for those six weeks I was playing. Um, and I was taken care of and I've never really felt that as a, as a professional softball player before. So, um, and that was just the first year, right? So I feel like it's only going to take off from there and, um, I'm excited to, to see the future of it and, and where it ends up getting to. I think that's so important that platforms like this are beginning to exist for women. And you also mentioned that you've played professionally before athletes unlimited and that sometimes that's come into conflict with perhaps your, your ideals and your views. And I, I know that you used to play for the scrapyard dogs in Texas, um, but ended up leaving the team after a disagreement with the, the general manager, perhaps ideologically. Can you explain a little bit when that was and give some context? Yeah. So, uh, this happened uh, over the summer uh, when we, we found out the Olympics were going to be postponed. Um, we got an opportunity to play with the scrapyard organization. And really most of us that were on the Olympic roster at the time just wanted somewhere to train. We had prepared to play in Tokyo. So we were all geared up and ready to play. And, uh, you know, we were sick of sitting at home and we were sure that it would be, you know, a safe COVID friendly environment. So uh, we wanted to take advantage of that opportunity. And a lot of us had some previous history within the scrapyard organization as well. Basically, when we went to uh, to play our first game, it was right at the height of um, all of the racial injustice issues that are going on or that were going on that are still going on. Our GM decided to uh, post a tweet commenting on the fact that we were all standing for the national anthem. And she tagged Donald Trump in the tweet. Um and we all felt as a group that uh, it just really wasn't appropriate uh, for her to speak on our behalf that way and to really claim her thinking as our own. Um, just because I am standing for the national anthem doesn't mean that I want you to tweet the president on my behalf, implying that I don't really stand with people of color in this country and all the injustices that they have faced. So we had a we had a conversation. From what I understand, she was not uh, really apologetic about what she had tweeted. So that led the players on our team to leave the Scrapyard organization and form our own uh, player-led team, which is uh, This Is Us softball. And the players that are leading that now are doing a great job of really shining a light on uh, racial injustice in the softball community, um, but also throughout the the entire country, really. They're doing consulting calls with local travel ball organizations really just getting our message out there. So um, as crazy and hectic as a time that was for, for all of us, um, it's ended up being a really important thing for, for our little softball community. Um, 
And I know that we've, we had a lot of people reach out to us and support us through that. So um, it's been a blessing in disguise, I think, but uh, yeah, that was, um, that was just one of those things where, you know, it's, you, you want to play softball or do you want to stand up for your values? And um, I'm really proud of all of the people on that roster for, for standing up for their values. It was, it was pretty special. Thank you for sharing that. I think it really goes to show a number of things. And first of all, just how unexpected the path has been that you've had to navigate since softball has been announced to be a exhibition sport in Tokyo with the delay because of COVID taking an opportunity to play in Texas and then competing and playing at a time where athletes are beginning to have a voice and to move beyond the cookie cutter boxes of just playing their sport and excelling within their sport and and being an idol and a role model to people, not only for their discipline, how they play, but for what they believe and what they stand up for. So I think that, you know, just in light of women's softball, not having the kind of resources or security that many other sports do to walk off a team, to start another organization just really speaks to your courage and conviction. And thank you again for sharing that. I think it's, it's really, really cool to see um, and super inspiring. And, and that one of the things that you said in, in your last answer was really talking about being proud of how you show up as a person and how your teammates showed up as people and the decisions that they, that they made to leave that team. And I heard you mention in another podcast that you, you're very specific about what matters to you and how you want to be remembered. And, and that's not necessarily how you play on the field, uh, but more the person you are on your team and on the field. And can you maybe expand upon that? And, and when you came to this realization? Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, I, I do take a lot of pride in how competitive I am and how good I am at what I feel like I was put on this earth to do. And that is play softball. Um, and I do want to, I want to be the best softball player that's, that's ever walked on the face of the earth. Like that's what drives me. That's what motivates me um, to wake up every day and just try to be the the best version of myself that I can be. Um, it's just like what I've realized throughout this whole process is it's not good enough for me to be like the best softball player ever in the history of the world. What, what matters more to me is how I'm going to be remembered by my teammates. Um, cause I don't want to be just the best softball player, but I treated you like garbage the entire time that I was a teammate with you. And our sport is such a team game that it's really kind of impossible to just be, it's impossible to be selfish. I don't think you can be a good softball player and be selfish because there's, there's nine people playing on the field at all times and you can't pitch and play all nine positions on defense and you, you can't hit one through nine in, in the batting order. So you have to rely on other people um, to find your success. It's such a team game. And I remember I got, uh, I, I got to the university of Alabama in the fall of 2013 and uh, we had our first team meeting. I had just gotten onto campus and moved into my dorm like two hours before our first team meeting. And I walk in the room, whole team is there. I'm a freshman. I don't really know, you know, what's going on. And Coach Murphy 
opens up the team meeting. And the first thing he says is he looked all of the freshmen like right dead in the eyes. And he was like, sooner you figure out, it's not all about you. The better off you're going to be, the happier you're going to be these next four years. It's going to be the ride of your life. If you quit worrying about yourself. And he was right. I took that advice to heart the entire four years I was at Alabama. And and I firmly believe that that's what has kept me on the national team for as long as I, as I have been outside of my natural ability to play my sport, um, just the culture piece and me wanting to serve my teammates and lead them in a really loving way. I think that's gotten me on the Olympic roster and it's been a really, really important part of my success as an individual, but also our, you know, our group success as a team. So it's very important to me. And is there something in the culture at University of Alabama or your coach specifically or that dynamic of your team that that really made that vibrant and alive for you? Because obviously there's a huge difference in solo athletes and, and team athletes and just how they're raised, how they're learned to train and, you know, having to depend on teammates versus it's, it's all on you and all on your shoulders. So I, I know that you've said that those four years at Alabama really, really shaped you and were some of the best years of your life. And I'm curious if there was something specific to that university that really brought out this team ethos within you. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a family atmosphere. And I mean that in the most like true way. I think family atmosphere can kind of be construed as like, oh, it's all, you know, it's all loving and smiles and optimistic all the time. And it's like, no, that's not really what family is. Like family is willing to love each other through the disagreements, through the conflicts, through the really hard stuff. Um, and that's what made us better. Like we went into the fire and came out a little bit better. Um, and to me, that was, that was at the heart of everything that we did was we all knew that we were in it together, fully committed to one another. Um, and it's a culture of, of servant leadership within that family piece as well. Um, and I think coach Murphy did such a good job leading us, um, throughout the four years that I was there. It's so funny to me to look back on some of the stuff. And like, I remember almost all of the compliments I got from coach Murphy and none of them were softball related. They were all leadership, humility, selflessness, um, you know, just qualities that you, you want to have, um, as a human being in general, like it was, he was more focused on developing the person. Um, and he kind of let that player development take care of itself because, I mean, you can go anywhere and this, this isn't even, you know, just softball, but I feel like any sport in general, you can go to college or the next level, whatever your sport is, and you're going to get better with a different coach. Like you're going to learn things. You're going to be seeing new things. You're going to, you know, just really take that to heart from a physical standpoint. That's a given, I think, to me, as you level up. Um, but the person piece, I think, kind of gets put on the back burner for a lot of people. And Coach Murphy completely flipped that. And he was opposite. He was way more focused on the person um, developing you as a human. And then he, he, like I said, he just let the softball stuff take care of itself. And it worked. I mean, we ended up, we made uh, three straight Women's College World Series appearances during my time there. Um, finished national runner-up in 2014. And um, he's proven time and time again that his his way works. And, you know, they're still having a really good program down there. So, um, 
it was just that, that family atmosphere, that servant leadership piece. And then, um, really it just being, um, enforced and, and lived out at the top from top of our staff all the way to the bottom. I want to continue on this theme of lessons learned and you've had a very successful collegiate career and gearing up for your first Olympics in Tokyo and being a part of this brand new platform of Athletes Unlimited. And so certainly have a lot of success and experience under your belt. And with that certainly comes the inevitable failures and the lessons we learn from them. Uh, Something I I really like that you said that really resonated was that at some point you feel that you aren't so much afraid of a potential failure, but what other people might think of that failure. And I'm wondering if that was in, in context to a specific event in your life, but if you could just expand upon that, I think, I think it's very true for a lot of people and I'd love to hear how it showed up in your life. Yeah. I mean, we live in a world where, um, everything is, is constantly advertised, right? Like, um, whether that be through social media, through, you know, the media in general, this is something I, I really learned when I got into college. Um, cause I would always get really nervous in, in big moments or big at bats, um, big plays during a game. And I, the more I thought about it, the more I just sat down and really got deep with my thoughts. I was like, I'm not really afraid to fail. Um, I'm afraid of what other people are going to say about me failing. And so I had to switch up my mindset to be really just more free of, you know, people are going to say what they're going to say. I can't really control that, but I can control when I do fail, what I learn from it. You know, for me, like one of the things that I've started saying to myself during this Olympic journey, because we've played a ton of like exhibition games um, leading up to it. And it's like the last out of that specific game is not the last lesson for me to learn from that specific event. So I'm always trying to not really see failure as failure. It's just an opportunity to learn and to grow and to get better. It's a part of my process to finding success. And two, with softball, I don't, I don't think a lot of people understand. Like I had, I had a 400 plus batting average in college. If you have a 400 plus batting average, that means you get a hit four times out of 10. And that's a really elite all American level batting average. Well, if I'm get if I'm getting a hit four times out of 10, that means I'm failing six times out of 10. So I'm failing more than I'm succeeding. And you have to be able to learn from that stuff and flip that into a positive and really not worry about what, what people say about you. You need to be worried about your own process and what lessons are you taking? Um, there's always an opportunity to learn something from both success and failure, but even more so from, from that failure piece. Um, and that was just something, it wasn't really one specific event, but it was just something that I had to really sit with over a period of time and be like, what am I actually afraid of? Why do I actually get nervous? Because when I stop caring about what other people think, I have a lot more fun. I'm a lot more free and I end up playing better as well. That is certainly one of the big lessons to learn in life. And I think it's one of those lessons I understand theoretically, but viscerally, I I think we're all slightly programmed to different degrees to really care about what society thinks and looking for approval. And I think it's this biological wiring to fit in 
fit into the group, fit into the tribe, or you'll be left alone and you won't survive, you know, millions of years ago or thousands of years ago. And it, it is something that we have to overcome because you learn through failing. And I think it's unfortunate how we've coined the term failing and the con- the negative connotations around it. And, and everyone wants a trophy. People would rather not try than fail, but it's in that if we could rebrand failing as learning and growing, it would, I think, be so much, so much more hopeful and, and freeing to so many people in and out of sports. And, and like you were saying, six out of 10 times means you miss the ball. You hit it four out of 10. And, you know, I think it's certainly in, in my sport and something like figure skating, you could skate a, a wonderful routine. You could miss one jump and that's what everyone focuses on. It's what the media focuses on, the judges focus on. And so this kind of perfectionism, it, it certainly it runs deep. But I think it's, it's really important to move beyond that and, and see failure as a, as a potential building block and, and a chance to learn. I want to ask you a little bit more about uh, this theme of women in sports and not only trying to get equal pay, equal exposure, equal opportunity, but there is this tension of what society, again, idealizes as beauty and the feminine form and what we expect. And that's very different than women in sports and women uh, in sports who are focusing on strength and performance and technical ability. And I know that you've spoken a little bit on that and you've ha- you've kind of had your own journey in finding the value in strength and accepting the body you have for what it for what it does and what it gives you. And I think this would be a great topic to touch upon for, for so many, so many girls and women that are currently in sport and battling with the same issues. Yeah. I'm glad that you brought this up because it's something I'm really passionate about, about talking. It's so funny because, you know, I grew up in um, a very small town in Alabama and women's sports were popular um, in terms of like rec ball participation and, you know, just local community sports and things like that. But it was more so, I think the connotation of it was just more so like, let's just keep our girls entertained and, you know, like let them see if they can go get a college scholarship and, and we'll just call it quits. And little boys, like if you're taking a little boy to his, you know, his youth football game or, his t-ball game it's like oh he can get to the big leagues or he can play in the nfl like if he's good and we we want to empower those young boys to dream big and and make it to the major leagues make it to the show make it to the big leagues you don't hear that about young women the connotation with that typically is going to be something along the lines of you know yeah go get your college paid for go get your education paid for yeah, settle down, get a degree, find a well-paying job, find a good husband and be a great mom. Um, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things, but the connotation compared to, you know, what you tell a young boy to to dream of and do is really just different. And I, um, I want so badly to be a part of a group that breaks that down, that shows young women, you can be whatever the heck you want to be. You can be as good as you want to be. You can play professional softball as long as you want to play professional softball. There is an opportunity out there for you. I'm I'm fighting like hell every single day to make sure there's an opportunity for you to continue to play. That's why I'm still continuing to play. 
is so more kids can see like you can do this until you're in your 30s you can do this shoot come play until you're in your 40s like you have opportunities to do this um so that's a piece of it as well and and two just on on the strength side of things um you know it's very easy for a travel baseball dad or a football dad to get their sons in the gym and boys want to be in the gym. They want to be in the gym lifting weights. They want to look strong and they want to feel strong and look the part. Um, women just tend to, to shy away from that um, really because of how our society has defined beauty. And to me, beauty is not something that I see in a model in a, in a photograph. It's, it's something so much deeper than that. And it's on the inside. And I think that outside strength um, really contributes to, to what's inside of you and your soul and the depth of your personality. Um, and that's why like more and more women are starting to realize like lifting weights, looking stronger, it makes you feel better. It makes you feel alive. It makes you feel more beautiful because you know that you are going through something like whether that's weight training or sports specific training, you're going through something difficult, you're coming out stronger. And that process is beautiful. Um, that's something I'm really passionate about. I mean, I got my degree in sports performance to, to spread that message to more and more young women um, athletes. Um, like I said, it's coming a long way. But um, there's still so many different stigmas that that we have to that we have to fight and we have to break down um, to try to convince people that that being strong is beautiful. Because and, and once you go through that process, it's a lot easier to buy into. Haley, I want to ask you a little bit more about coaching. And you're in a unique role where you're competing as an athlete, but you're also a coach. And I'm curious what the most important or surprising thing is that you've learned from being on that other side of the athlete coach relationship? Yeah. Well, I, I think the most important thing, the, the thing that sticks out to me, I guess I should say is the importance of listening and really trying to understand um, other athletes perspectives of people that I'm trying to lead. Um, I don't think you can be a good leader without being a good listener. And I think God blessed us with two ears and one mouth for a reason. Um, and so for me, that's been the biggest piece of, of being a strength coach. Um, not only when I was at FAMU, but also being, you know, the strength and conditioning coach for, for USA softball as well, um, is you have to listen to feedback in a way that you don't take it personally. You just use it as more fuel to put a better product out there. Um, for your clients, your athletes, whoever. Um, and so listening has been a really, really important thing for me, whether that's, you know, just asking people like, Hey, how does your body feel today? How can I help you? Um, how is your, how's your emotion? Like, how are you emotionally today? Do you want to be here? If you don't, that's okay. But just be honest with me and I'll do my best to make sure that it's, you know, a really great training session for you. So you can walk out of here feeling better than when you came in. Um, and so getting that feedback, not taking it personally, um, it's been a really, really important piece for me um, in my in my career um, as a coach. And then even as a player, too, it just makes you feel more empowered to be honest with your staff, your coaches and even your teammates. There's nothing wrong. And this is something that I love about our team. Like if we don't have it that day, if we're tired that day, we acknowledge it. 
we tell the group that like, Hey, like I, I need you to have my back today. And then we move on from it. It's not a complaint. It's not a constant, you know, Oh man, I, I, I'm just tired or whatever. It's address it. Let somebody know that you need help move on and the group is better for it. Um, so I think that's been really a two-sided thing for me is listen, but be willing to speak up and, and rely on other people for help as well. That's well said. We usually feel like we have so much to say that we forget that listening can be equally or more important. So thank you for that reminder. I want to ask you a little bit about growing up and I know you've learned a lot from both your parents and growing up in a small town in Alabama. And I guess specifically, I want to ask you about maybe the moment when you decided you wanted to tell your family, your friends about your sexuality. And I know that you're engaged now and, and you're very, very open, but that must not have been an easy conversation to have growing up in, in a conservative family in Alabama. Oh no, it was, it was scary as hell. Like if you want to be completely honest, that's what made it a great experience for me. Um, I've never had to be more courageous than I, than I had to be in that moment. And I let societal norms um, tell me what I thought was right and wrong. And I just assumed that my parents would, you know, shun me or kick me out of the house or, you know, you, you hear about all these horror stories and um, they're usually from people in small conservative towns in the South, um, which is where I grew up. And so you, I, I just thought like, I'm going to have, I, I was so pessimistic. Like I, I'm just going to have the, the worst experience. Um, that's the stereotype. I'm probably going to fit right in. And, and that'll be that. I grew up going to church, um, a Southern Baptist church, Sunday mornings, had lunch, went back Sunday night, and then another weekly service on Wednesday nights. So it was just all the time we were going to church. Um, um, I, like I said, I just assumed the worst when I had the conversation with my parents and it's, it's so funny and, and amazing to look back on now. Um, it was just nothing but love in that conversation. Um, and my parents have showed me nothing less than unconditional love throughout my entire coming out process. Um, Kylie and I are in a great position with her family, uh, as well. And it's very nice to be treated you know, normal. And one, one day, like someone's sexuality is not going to be something that needs to be covered or have a light shined upon it. It's just going to be a part of everyday life. And, um, I know my parents are certainly contributing to that. And to on the, like on the religious aspect of that as well, that's how, that's how you live out your faith. In my opinion, is being willing to show love to the people that society deems unlovable. Um, and my parents showed that to me. And honestly, them being willing to, to do that has been a, a big part of why I've continued to, to try to build out my faith as a, as a woman in the LGBTQ community. Uh, faith is still a really big part of my life. I don't think you have to choose between uh, Christianity and, and being, you know, being a lesbian for me. I don't have to choose between the two. I'm fully okay and fully healthy um, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually being, you know, a part of both of those communities. And um, 
I felt that confidence because of the the unconditional love that my parents showed me. And that's really what uh, Christianity should be all about. Just unconditional love of, of people. So um, I'm really grateful to be in the position that I'm in because I know that so many, um, so many people don't have the, the experiences that I do. Um, so I'm very, very grateful for that. That's wonderful to hear. I think, as you said, there are so many different stories and struggles of people coming out and, and not feeling accepted and, and especially in certain kinds of communities that are more conservative. So I think your example is it's wonderful for people here that things are changing, people are changing, people are loving, and that ultimately sexuality doesn't have to define identity and and that religion, that faith is is so much broader and you know, just as you have found it to be this this opportunity to strengthen your faith. And I think it's really beautiful. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thanks. Oh, I wanted to ask you now a little bit about self-development. I know you're very, very disciplined and you have your routines and you've talked about winning the morning and journaling, I believe, is a big part of of your day and the importance of being alone with your thoughts. And I try to journal and I find that I'm not as consistent as I'd like to be. But when I really sit down with my thoughts for a while, there's there's a clarity and peace that comes and I, I'd love to know when you started journaling and the kind of perhaps the kind of thoughts that come up for you and, and what that time of the day means to you. Yeah. You know, I started journaling uh, probably late high school, early college. Um, and it really started something like it really started as, as me like taking notes on my life. Um, I've always loved to learn, but I realized that as I was like, going through school and doing all these things, like I'm learning about things that aren't like related to me. Like I want to learn about myself as much as I learn about, you know, science or business or whatever I I was studying at the time. So I was like, I just need to like take notes on my life. I need to, um, I need to just write things down. I remember things better when I write things down as well. So, um, for me, it's like, I, I don't want to get caught up living my life and not remembering the big picture, not remembering the bigger story that I was a part of. I don't want to miss out on anything because I didn't remember it or remember how it felt or remember the lessons that I learned from it. Um, and for me, like if I can't get to it in the morning, I usually try to get to it, you know, before I, before I go to sleep at night, but the mornings for me have just been so, um, so critical in, I mean, you know, being an Olympic athlete, just your day can just get away from you. Like you blink and all of a sudden it's just gone. And I, I don't want to do that. I want to, you know, be really clear about what my goals for the day are, what I want to learn that day. I want to be clear about what I'm experiencing. Um, and it's so funny. Like, I don't, I don't realize what I learn usually right away when a certain event happens or something in my day happens, it usually takes me, you know, going back into old journals and being like, that's what I I was feeling that there. And now look how much I've grown in this, you know, month, two months, three months, however long it's been since I wrote that down. Um, And it's a lot easier to have self-confidence. I think when, when you do that, when you have that clarity of, no, I'm not the same person that I was last week. I'm not the same person that I was last month. I'm still growing. I'm still getting better. And it's journaling for me is a tangible way 
to track that development process. Um, Cause I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to stop trying to get better until my last day on this earth. I'm always going to try to find new ways to improve, whether that's emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally, whatever that is. Um, I just want to get better. Like I have a big desire to get better and I want to be able to track that process and help other people from my experiences as well. Um, you know, if I'm, if I'm ever in a situation where someone needs my help, I want to be able to pull back from those stories and be like, I went through this. This is how I felt. Maybe this could help you. Um, so the community piece is a, is a big part of that as well. But, um, I really just, I like tracking progress. I like taking notes. I like learning. That's really what it, what it boils down to. So I love that you touch upon learning so much about the world, business, science, but that they're isn't really that dedicated exploration of self that we find perhaps in school and high school. And maybe when you get to college, if you take a philosophy class, you start to, the wheels start to turn and there's some internal reflection and trying to understand the self. But I think especially as an athlete, spending so much time in your mind, focusing on excellence, understanding your emotional, your physical reactions to things there's a natural curiosity to understand the self and it gears into your performance and growth as an athlete but more importantly as you were saying just as a person right and then how we respond to the events around us so I think that's very well said and you know a good advertisement for for journaling and and just pausing because our it seems like we have so much technology that makes life more efficient and easier but somehow we're busier than ever. And it's rare to find those few minutes just to be alone with your thoughts and really reflect on your day. And it's never been more important. So thank you for that. And a good reminder that I need to make journaling a little bit more consistent in my life. And that brings me to to kind of a close for the, the interview. And I have one last question that I ask all my guests. And it's what would your Olympic or Paralympic moment in life be and just some moment of magnitude that you know you'll always remember that was significant in some sense whether that's in or out of sports oh man for me for me like my my biggest moment was probably getting engaged um and proposing to my now fiance that that moment holds so much weight for me because the spiritual and emotional journey that I had to go on to get to that point, um, was really difficult. Um, and we touched on it earlier. I mean, growing up in a conservative town and, um, not really knowing or feeling confident that my sexuality was okay or accepted. And for me to be able to go from that point to running to the jewelry store, first thing in the morning while Kylie's still asleep and um telling her I had to go run errands or something like that and I mean go doing that setting up the entire proposal getting the photographer booked and all of that just going into that one moment and then when she said yes it was just like a a huge ball of like relief just fell over me I was very happy that she said yes because I, I knew from the moment I met her, I never wanted to live a day without her. But knowing that all of that stuff on the journey was worth it. And 
I was really proud of myself for, for making it that far and not being afraid to be myself and, and fighting for what I knew was the best thing for me and what was going to make me happy. So, um, that's, that's my, that's my big moment. Oh, that's a beautiful moment. I, I, I think it'll resonate with a lot of people. Thank you so much for taking the time today to share not only how you've developed and see your sport and being, being an advocate for women in sport, but just in a much broader context, you know, for being a good person and taking the time to examine oneself. It's, I think it's, it's really inspiring. And I certainly believe the athletes that take the time to develop all these buckets outside of their athletic ability are certainly much more interesting and, and have really interesting lives over the long haul because of the questions they ask and the things they believe in and stand up for. So I think you're just a wonderful example of all of that and wishing you the most amazing luck in Tokyo and to enjoy that experience. You must be so excited. Yeah, I'm excited. Thank you so much again for having me and and giving me a chance to talk about things that uh, I'm clearly very passionate about. So I appreciate it. Please subscribe to Sasha Sessions wherever you get your podcasts. You can find new episodes every Monday. Produced by Bigfoot Music and Sound in New York City.